Act One of Sweet Lavender by Arthur Wing Panero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Persons of the Play. Horace Bream, a young American, read by Matthew Rees. Geoffrey Wedderburn of Wedderburn, Green, and Hoskett, Bankers, Barnchester. Read by Todd. Clement Hale, his adopted son, studying for the bar. Read by Andrew Hunt. Richard Dick Fennell, a barrister. Read by Andrew Jack. Dr. Delaney, a fashionable physician. Read by Algie Pug. Mr. Bolger, hairdresser and wig maker. Read by Alan Mapstone. Mr. Ma, a solicitor. Read by Larry Wilson. Minnie Gilfillian, niece of Mr. Wedderburn. Read by Matea Bracic. Ruth Rold, housekeeper and laundress at Number 3 Brain Court Temple. Read by Sonia. Lavender, her daughter. Read by Jan Broda. Mrs. Gilfillian, a widow. Wedderburn's sister, Minnie's mother, read by Danny Malone. Stage Directions, read by Adrian Stevens. Introductory Note Sweet Lavender must be regarded as one of the most successful stage plays of modern times, and there can be no question that it has proved so far the most popular of Mr. Pinero's works. Its representations may be counted by the thousand, and its popularity has extended over many latitudes. The reason of this is not far to seek. It proclaims itself in the gentle humanity and genial humour of the play, and the lovable creation of the golden-hearted, weak-natured, down-at-heel Dick Fennell. The very simplicity and unpretentiousness of this domestic comedy have apparently disarmed any antagonistic criticism which might have been expected from those critics of cynical temper and pessimistic mood who are wont to look for the stern realities of life even in the most purposely genial of theatrical entertainments. And if these, in view of the preponderance of kindly human nature in the play, elect to regard Sweet Lavender as a sort of modern fairy tale, rather than an actual and realistic study of life, certainly no one would be more ready to agree with them than Mr. Pinero himself. He avowedly designed the piece as a pleasant entertainment, and the proof that he accomplished his purpose is the fact of the phenomenally successful career of the work all over the world. Had Mr. Pinero, in the early months of 1888, written a play of the order of the second Mrs. Tanqueray for Terrace Theatre, the result would in all probability have been disaster. Sweet Lavender was first produced on Wednesday evening, March 21st, 1888, and was from the first received with so much enthusiasm that at once the playgoing public began to flock to Terrace Theatre. Mr. Pinero's comedy, in fact, drew the town, Mr. Edward Terry's Dick Fennell became almost a household word, and the play held its place in the programme continuously until January 25th, 1890, 
by which date it had been performed as many as 683 times. But this was not the end of its career at Terry's Theatre, for, after Mr. Edward Terry's holiday trip to India, the actor-manager signalised his return by a revival of Sweet Lavender on October 4th, 1890, and between that date and November 26th of the same year, 54 performances were given, bringing the number of representations at this house up to 737. Act 1. Nobody's Business. Morning. Act 2. Somebody's Business. Evening of the next day. Act 3. Everybody's Business. A week afterwards. Scene. Chambers of Mr. Fennel and Mr. Hale, Three Brain Court Temple. Springtime, the present day, scene designed and painted by T. W. Hall. Mr. T. W. Robertson, who, as a manager and actor of considerable provincial experience, was prompt to recognise the certain popularity of Sweet Lavender with the immense playgoing public outside the metropolis, at Christmas 1888 commenced a series of provincial tours with Mr. Pinera's play, and these tours lasted until November 5th, 1891, 697 performances having been given in the meanwhile. Since then, other travelling companies have performed the play many hundred times all over the United Kingdom, and it finds a continuously appreciative public. In America, Mr. Pinero's famous comedy has become a stock piece, and its representations have been countless since Mr. Daniel Froman first produced it at the Lyceum Theatre, New York. Australia has also taken very kindly to the play, which was first introduced to Antipodean audiences by Mr. Frank Thornton, and during Mr. Edward Terry's recent visit to the colony, Sweet Lavender was naturally expected from him as its original producer, and it was received with enthusiasm at his hands. In South Africa, it has also enjoyed frequent representation. In the West Indies, it has been much in favour, and Mr. Thornton will shortly take the play to India. But Sweet Lavender, like The Profligate and The Magistrate, has appealed beyond the English-speaking body of playgoers to those of the Teutonic and Italian tongues. It has been very frequently performed in Germany in an adaptation which eliminates the sentimental interest to a large extent and lays greater stress on the comic, while the Italian stage knows it also by a version from the pen of a well-known Italian writer. Furthermore, Sweet Lavender was recently acted in Russia by a company organised for the purpose of presenting English plays in that country. Malcolm C. Salomon, October 1893 Sweet Lavender, the first act The scene is the comfortably furnished sitting-room of some barrister's chambers at Three Brain Court Temple. On the spectators' left and right are the doors leading, respectively, to the bedrooms of Richard Fanil and Clement Hale. At the further end of the room, on the left, is a curtained opening, leading into a kind of passage where a butler's tray stands, and facing the outer door of the chambers. The corresponding part of the room, where the windows look on to the court, forms a kind of recess curtained off from the rest. 
It is a bright spring morning. Ruth Rolt, a slim, delicate-looking woman of about thirty-five, with a sweet face and a sad, soft voice, humbly but very neatly dressed, is laying the breakfast things upon the table. Bulger, a meek, bald-headed man, carrying a little old leather bag, a brass pot of hot water, and some clean towels, enters quietly. I'll give Mr. Ale a nice shave, Mrs. Rolt. Clean and quick. Water is hot enough for me just to run over Mr. Fennel's face, if he's visible. I'm afraid Mr. Fennel isn't well enough for you this morning, Mr. Bulger. Not one of his mornings, eh? Ruth goes to the right-hand door and knocks sharply. Mr. Fennel! Mr. Fennel! The barber! Bulger! mildly behind his hand hairdresser hairdresser with a mournful shake of the head no use well mrs Rowe, i do wonder at a superior young gentleman like mr ale stooping to reside with one of mr fennel's sort ruth firing up what do you mean one of mr fennel's sort i mean a person who's seen staggering home with uncertain footfalls at all hours of the morning and can't hold up his head for shaving more than twice a week i shouldn't wonder if mr hale finds something to like something to respect in mr fennel with all his faults perhaps so but to reflect that mr ale used to be such a swell as the saying goes over in pear-tree court and then three weeks back to come here and take up with the untidiest chin in the inner temple it's bewildering ruth impatiently oh walks up to the window where she stands waiting for bulger to go bulger with a sigh Good morning, Mrs. Rolt. Ruth, without turning. Good morning. Bulger, on his way to the door, pauses, deposits his brass pot and towels on the table, then opens his bag mournfully. Ruth, turning with surprise. Mr. Bulger. I'm still hoping, Mrs. Rolt. It's good to be hoping for something in this world, Mr. Bulger. Bulger taking a piece of paper out of his bag and advancing towards ruth my affection for you has now took poetic form ma'am will you accept the heartiest effort no thank you i think mrs Rolt. when it comes to poetry it comes to something i edmund bolger widower have loved you, Mrs. Ruth Rolt, widow, ever since you first set foot in the temple fifteen year ago, a-bearing your two-year-old baby in your arms, ma'am. Ruth pained. Don't. Don't. I was the first what ever put scissors to your little lavender's silky head, Mrs. Rolt. Yes, I know that. And I've had the handling of your tresses, too. I and the singeing of them. Till I found I loved you too fond to do your heir what I call justice. Gloomily offering his verses. And now it's come down to poetry. 
Ruth turning away. It's no good indeed. Bulger surveying the paper doubtfully. It ain't much good, but intellectually it's my all, ma'am. You won't? No, Mr. Bulger, please. Bulger putting away the paper and taking up his things. A John sign diamond. Turning solemnly. I take leave for to mention that Mr. Justice Tyler's new wig, which I sent home yesterday, nips him at the nape of the neck. Also that I cut Mr. Pritchett, the eminent Q.C.'s chin, in his own chambers yesterday. A mole as I've skipped over these ten years like a gladsome child. I don't want to make a mountain out of a mole, Mrs. Rolt. But these facts denote the failing hand, ma'am. Good morning. As Bulger is going, there is a knock at the outside door, which he opens, and admits Dr. Delaney, a genial old Irish gentleman with silvery-grey hair and whiskers. Thank ye. I'm much obliged to ye. I'm calling on Mr. Hale. Bulger goes out. Is it Mrs. Rolt? Yes, sir. I'm Dr. Delaney. I've just had the pleasure of seeing your daughter downstairs in the kitchen, in the basement. My daughter? The fact is, I'm a friend of Mr. Hale's, and when I met him, a night or two back at a little party, he told me that the child of his laundress, of the lady who minds the house, where he has chambers, was looking a little peaky, and that if ever I was near the temple— Oh! How good of Mr. Hale. Oh, delightful of him. And you too, Doctor. Dr. Delaney, taking her two hands in his for a moment. Don't speak of it. Not a bit. Mr. Hale isn't out of his bed yet, I take it. Yes, Doctor. He'll breakfast in a minute. She goes to a door and knocks. Dr. Delaney, to himself. No, I wonder whether this boy is smitten with the bit of a girl downstairs. Ah, thank goodness, it's no business of mine. Ruth, knocking again. Mr. Hale. Clement, in his room. Yes. Dr. Delaney, please. Oh, thank you, I'm coming. Ruth continues laying the table. Dr. Delaney, to himself. It would be a great disappointment to Wedderburn, the banker, if the lad he's adopted did anything absurd. But, thank goodness, it's no business of mine. Don't you think my girl is looking very pale, doctor? Ah, don't worry yourself, no. It's the air of the temple. She's a white chrysanthemum instead of a pink one. Your daughter's strong enough. Bless you for telling me that, my sweet lavender. You're a little pale yourself, no. I, oh, I've had trouble. Oh, you're a widow. I'm sorry to hear, Mrs. Root. Yes, Doctor. Dr. Delaney, to himself. And you're right about the trouble you've had, if I'm any judge of faces. Thank goodness, it's no business of mine. To Ruth. Have you been alone a long while? I lost Lavender's father before she was born. Ah, that's a pity, no. And she's all I have in the world, Doctor. In fact, she's myself. At times I think she's as old as I, 
or i as young as she i feel her smile on my face and the pains and aches i suffer go to her young bones when she is poring over her lessons at night i am sure my eyes smart for it her lessons what lessons are those she's a little backward and works hard with her books in the evening mr hale has been good enough to help her oh has he and she's very fond of her books have you noticed yes very then the only thing i've got to recommend is this that you'll put a stop to the lessons for six months or so very well doctor poor levy dr delaney to himself i've hit it oh thank goodness this is no business of mine clement hale enters he is a handsome boyish young man of about three-and-twenty immaculately dressed in a fashionable dressing suit dr delaney me dear boy they call you a fashionable physician and you're found in the city at ten in the morning me dear boy i'll let you into a secret we can't get human ailments to keep fashionable hours clement leading him over to the armchair best-hearted and best-humoured creature in london sit in the best chair dr delaney has seen lavender i-i can't thank you clement smiling uh, please don't with assumed carelessness to delaney uh, what do you think of the child oh she's been increasing her knowledge a little too rapidly that's all lavender has to give up her lessons for six months the doctor says isn't it a pity mr hale ruth goes out give up her lessons no it's no good overloading the brain of a young girl no is it clement carelessly turning away no no dr delaney to himself no nor the heart neither good gracious here's poor wedderburn travelling abroad in happy ignorance and it's nobody's business to look after the boy he loves like a son well it's not my business at any rate there is the sudden sound of the fall of some heavy object in the adjacent room what's that now that oh that's dick dick is it mr richard fennel barrister-at-law i share his chambers dick's dressing dropped his waistcoat poor dick if you saw him i dare say you'd be shocked at my making a companion of a man like dick fennel dear me but i know the good there is in old dick and how the good burns clearer and brighter in his slovenly person than many who've had luck and love and luxury in their lives which dick hasn't i shall pull him around yet like to know him i like to know everybody clement opening the door slightly dick to delaney you won't see him to advantage i was busy last night and he ran off the rails a little dick turning away from the door all right dick fennel enters and walks unsteadily towards clement dick is a shattered and dissolute-looking man of about five-and-forty with shaggy iron-grey hair and ragged whiskers a pale and cadaverous face and a suggestion of redness about the nose he wears the wreck of a once gaudy smoking-jacket which hangs loosely upon him 
and his appearance has generally a down-at-heel appearance. But, withal, he presents the remains of a gentleman, and, after he has recovered himself, his manner, though eccentric, is refined and good-humoured. Clem, my boy, good morning. Hello, Dick. Hello. I know what you infer, Clem. I'm a little late in falling. I mean in rising. Uh, this morning. Clement, with mock severity. A little early in going to bed this morning, Mr. Fennel. Clem, my boy, you're so unreasonable. I had an important appointment at the Stake and Torbers in Fleet Street, a very early established in Clement, Dr. Johnson, and all that sort of thing. I'm not the worse for, for, for it, Clem. Are you any the better? I'm about the same, Clement. Uh, let me introduce my friend, Dr. Delaney. What nonsense, Dr. Johnson. Dr. Delaney. Dick, to Delaney. I beg your pardon. I didn't perceive you when I first came in. He walks rather unsteadily to Delaney, shakes hands with him, then sits on the sofa. Delighted to make your acquaintance, Mr. Fennel. Thank you. Were you here when you heard that noise in the next room? Oh, you heard a noise. The pattern on my bedroom carpet. Damn knowing. I had the carpet turn last week. Bottom upwards. Still damn knowing pattern. Different pattern, but pattern. Trip of anybody. Dr. Delaney to Clement. I happen to have a little something in me pocket that'll pull him together. Give it to him for heaven's sake. I want a tumbler. Tumbler? Tumbler. Dick goes rapidly to the sideboard and fetches a tumbler and a decanter of spirits. Uh, look out! Delaney takes the tumbler and decanter from Dick and hands the decanter to Clement, who replaces it on the sideboard. Retaining the tumbler, Delaney measures into it some drops from a file he has taken from his pocket. Dick, mystified. Perfect concentrate. Clement, offering a carafe of water. Water? Very Delaney pours some water into the tumbler, then gives it to Dick. Swallow that now. <laughs> Not spirits, I hope, at this time of the morning. No, no. Why, why not? That's the blessed antidote to the vilest poison the devil ever put his red seal on. I allude to Scotch whisky, not Irish. What nonsense, blessed anecdote. Come, come, drink my health, sir. The Queen! Dick drinks the contents of the tumbler, then coughs and splutters. How's that now? One's keeping another year, at least. Oh. Dick writhes a little, as if in pain, then sits on the sofa and buries his head in his hands. He's all right. Aim off. Ruth enters with a tray. You won't have breakfast with us, Dr. Delaney? God bless ye for asking me, but I'm very busy over this new hobby of mine. You've heard of it? The Home of Forgetfulness. The Home of Forgetfulness? What's that? It's a new home I've endowed for a hundred soft-hearted women who are willing to put themselves at my beck and call to nurse the sick and ill and rich and poor. I shall be the commander-in-chief with a trained army at my own barracks. And you do this all alone? Ah, why not? 
some of us so-called fashionable physicians have made so much money out of those who haven't anything the matter with them that it's hard if we can't do a little for the benefit of those who have but why the home of forgetfulness because it's only by a bed of sickness that many a woman can forget the trouble and pain and disappointment this world has brought her taking clement's hand god bless ye me boy god bless you dr delaney i wish more of us were like you go along now good-bye looking at clement then at dick ah uh, it's no business of mine he bustles out brushing past ruth ruth under her breath to delaney as he passes her doctor he passes through the passage she following him clement calling after delaney good-bye dr delaney in the distance good-bye dick having roused himself with a shake and a shiver looks up blinking his eyes his drunkenness gone clem going to the table and lifting up the dish-cover sweetbread we haven't had breakfast clem clement closes the passage-door and drawing the curtain over the opening comes to the table hello you're always late for breakfast clement clement putting his hand on dick's shoulder and surveying him delaney understands your case evidently delaney that was cormac delaney the dear old doctor of wigmore street oh i wish you had introduced me shall we toss for the armchair as usual certainly clement tosses a coin and catches it on the back of his hand covering it call dick throws his coin in the air it falls many yards away from him but he covers the back of his hand as if he had caught the coin clement laughs dick uncovering his hand disappointed oh never mind woman yours dick sits in the armchair clement helps dick to sweet bread then pours out tea no appetite i suppose dick as if with a disagreeable taste in his mouth ham i fancy my liver isn't as it should be ah dick dick you've broken your word to me again the last time clement my boy the last time it's always the last time dick dick making a clatter with his knife and fork irritably don't talk childishly last night was the last time it will be the last time you're invariably finding fault clement it's discouraging blame 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 but praise oh dear no praise for what dick bitterly it is hardly for a man of my age to indicate to a boy the particular qualities appealingly clem clem i'm sorry there i apologize never again holding out his hand friends clement my boy word of honor my boy clement gripping his hand word of honor dick done but do try to commend a little more clement to praise to encourage much may be done by kindness cheerfully sweetbread clement absently uh, no thanks dick off your feed spoonful of whiskey in your tea tone the stomach dick delaney says that little lavender rolt ought to discontinue her studies oh clement leaving the table confound it and she is making such progress clement sits with his elbows on the writing-table 
and his head resting on his hand. Hello, Clement, my boy. Going over to Clement sympathetically. This won't do. What won't do? Clem, no man is quite so sober as the individual who is occasionally otherwise. All his acuteness is concentrated upon his brief lucid intervals, and in those intervals his acuteness is devilish. Laying his hand on Clement's shoulder. Clement! Dick! When you took compassion upon a worthless, broken-down reprobate, I allude to the gentleman now honoured with the attention of the house. You did a fine thing, but don't spoil it, Clement, my boy. What do you mean? What is there to spoil? Your career. Don't you think I haven't seen this coming on? You're giving little lavender hints in grammar and composition and buying a boils arithmetic and explaining the difference between a cape and an isthmus in the dusk by the window. No, no, Clement, my boy, it won't answer. For the sake of her peace of mind, your future, pull up before the mischief is done. Clement, taking Dick's hand. You're too late, Dick. I love her. Dick, spluttering with anger and shaking his fist at Clement. Out of my chambers. This is gratitude. This is how you profit by the counsel and companionship of a man double your age. I've done with you. Very well, Dick. Dick, rushing at him. Clement, my boy, I'm a little angry now. Tearfully. But I, I shall work round, Clem. You haven't breathed a word to the poor child, have you? Not a word, Dick. Thank you, Clem. Lavi must be sent into the country for the benefit of her health, and then there'll be an end of it. Dick, why should there be an end of it? Don't talk to me, sir, like that. Haven't you been adopted by Mr. What's-his-name, a, a banker, sir? Well? If a banker should adopt me, you'd see something like behaviour, sir. Why, if you offend your father, as you call him, you'll be a pauper. You'll be like Richard Fennell, Esquire of the Inner Temple. Why should I offend Mr. Wedderburn by loving a girl who is simple and honest and generous and courtly, whose only advice is that she is not dressed by a Bond Street milliner? Don't go to me when you're starving, that's all. Nonsense, Dick. At the worst, I shall have my profession. Profession? What good is a profession to me? Snatching a dirty pipe from the mantelpiece savagely. Besides, aren't you engaged to a beautiful, uh, a Miss Thingamy, Mr. Wedderburn's niece? Mrs. Gilfillian's daughter and I were thrown together as children, and I believe there is some idea. Ha! You believe? But I'm sure that Minnie Gilfillian troubles her pretty head very little about me. Hadn't you better wait till Miss Gilfinian and Mrs. Gilfinian and Mr. Wedderburn bring their three pretty heads back to England? Wait? I can't stop the beating of my heart, Dick. And it beats lavender, 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 every moment of the day. He buries his head in his hands. One last word, Clement, my boy. Slowly and carefully filling his pipe. The story of Cinderella hasn't been properly told yet. There was no pumpkin and no fairy. The carriage came from Windovers and the pair of bays from Tassels. At the young gentleman's order, the girl was pretty and good, and he loved her, Clement. But the time arrived when the slippers wore down to the heel and had to be replaced by a size larger. And by and by, it's a sad story, he noticed that her little sharp elbows didn't get white, poor thing and that she mixed up the first and third person in accepting Lady Montmorency's kind invitation to dine. And one day a carriage and pair were for sale, Clement, 
as good as new, the property of a gentleman leaving England, who was no longer answerable for the debts contracted by Cinderella, his wife. The hero of your story was a cad, Dick. The hero of any story generally is. There, take my sermon or I'll leave it. But it's because I love you, and because this poor woman, Ruth Walt, has been for fifteen years a great friend to a shaggy, worthless cur, that I won't let you and her child make each other wretched without raising any back against them. Amen, Clement, my boy. Amen. He drops into the armchair facing the fire and lights his pipe. There is a low knock from the other side of the curtained opening. There's that man of mine, Jenks. He gets later and later every morning. Dick, growling. Learn to dress yourself. I dress myself. The knock is repeated. Clement, angrily. <sighs> Come in. Lavender, a slight pretty girl, about seventeen, shabbily dressed, draws the curtain and enters the room. Her voice is sweet and gentle, and her movements graceful and refined. She carries some school books, an exercise book, and a small tray. Lavender, standing unnoticed, timidly. May I clear the table, please? Dick, turning in his chair. Hello! Clement, jumping up. <gasps> Good gracious! We thought you were Jenks! Lavender, taking a little crumpled note from her pocket. Jenks has left this note downstairs, Mr. Hale. Clement, reading. Uh, Henry Jenks presents his respectful compliments, but I am not coming any more, has I... Hmm. Hand that to Mr. Fennel, Lavender. Lavender gives the note to Dick. Dick, reading. I am not coming any more, as I can't stand the carryings on. Is that awful Mr. Fennel? Indignantly. Well, I. He screws up the note vindictively and throws it into the fire. Then turning, he sees Lavender and Clement close together. Lavender, giving the books to Clement reluctantly. You won't look at my exercise till I've cleared the breakfast table and gone right out of sight, will you? Why? It's so bloody. Dick, fidgeting. Hmm, Clement, my boy admonishing Clement by waving his pipe. Lavender goes to the breakfast table and begins removing the things. Clement, angrily. Don't interfere, Dick. Thank you, Mr. Hale. Stalking away indignantly. Clement, to himself. Confound Dick's cynicism. How sweet she is. To Lavender. May I help you in some way? He takes up the teapot. No, thank you taking the teapot from Clement and looking at his empty plate. Poor Mr. Fennel hasn't eaten any breakfast. Ah, uh, poor Mr. Fennel. She carries some of the breakfast things out into the passage and puts them on the butler's tray. Clement hesitates a moment, then snatches up an egg cup and goes after her. Dick, looking round. Where? Where? Going to the curtained opening. Ah, Clement, my boy. Clement returns to the room, glaring at Dick, and stands sulkily before the fire. Lavender goes on clearing the table. Dick throws himself on the sofa, opens the newspaper, 
and eyes clement and lavender from behind it. Do you know that your books are to be closed, Lavender? My books? Pounds, shillings, and pence are to be withdrawn from your mental banking account. The intricate verb will torture you no longer, and the mountains of this world will have to settle their relative height amongst themselves. I was afraid I was becoming too troublesome to you, Mr. Hale. My dear child, it's not my doing, but Dr. Delaney's. Oh, how cruel! He doesn't know how ignorant and stupid I am! She returns to the passage in tears. Clement, savagely, to Dick. There! I think of your health, Lavy. Health should be the first consideration of us all. Lavender returns, wiping her eyes to brush away the crumbs. But I have a capital notion. If you may not read... There's nothing to prevent you from being read too. Eh? And so, Lavender, every evening for a couple of hours, I'll grind out some sound instructive work, and you shall sit and listen to me. Oh, Mr. Hale, how good you are. I'll lay in a stock of books this morning. We'll begin on Frederick the Great by Carlyle. Twenty-one volumes? Lavender, having cleared the table, now removes the white cloth and begins to fold it. Clement, advancing. Allow me? Thank you, Mr. Hale. Clement takes an end of the tablecloth opposite Lavender. Dick savagely screws the paper into a ball and flings it away. There is a sharp rat-a-tat at the outer door. Dick, taking Lavender's end of the tablecloth from her. Go to the door, Lavy. Clement folds the cloth angrily with Dick. Lavender opens the door and admits Horace Bream, a good-looking, well-dressed, fair-haired young American. Horace, at the door. Thank you. Mr. Hale? Thank you. Advancing and looking from Clement to Dick. You'll excuse me, I hope, but being rather in a hurry. To Dick. Hale? Dick dropping his end of the tablecloth. No, Fennel! Horace, to Clement. Mr. Hale, I am perfectly delighted to make your acquaintance. Permit me to carry this through with you. Placing his hat and stick on the floor, he picks up the end of the tablecloth and folds it with Clement, who glares at him in annoyance. Dick sits on the sofa, chuckling. Lavender is seen from time to time in the passage, taking away the breakfast things. Really, I haven't the pleasure of... Horace Pinkley Bream. Well, but... I have the honor to be a great personal friend of your aunt, Mrs. Gilfillian, and her daughter Minnie. Warmly. Sir, most charming ladies. Oh, pray sit down. Horace, sitting. I'm in a very great hurry. Have you any message from... Horace, unconcernedly. No, sir, I have not. Clement, commanding himself. Then would you mind telling me... Horace, looking at his watch. Certainly. The fact is, your party picked me up in Paris two months ago. What party? Mr. Wedderburn, his sister, Mrs. Gilfillian, and her daughter. Sir, charming ladies. From Paris we traveled to Marseille, from Marseille to Cannes, Cannes to Nice. They just stuck to me right through. Looking round. Sir, I am delighted with your apartments. Clement, to himself. An intrusive table to acquaintance. To Horace. You've left my friends at Nice, I presume? No, sir. We are home. Home? 
I brought Mrs. Gilfillian and her daughter right through to London yesterday. Charming ladies. Dick to himself. Hello. Clement under his breath. Confound it. We left Wedderburn in Paris buying things. An exceedingly pleasant gentleman. Clement distractedly. And where are Mrs. Gilfillian and her daughter now? That's my difficulty. Where? I lost them at Charing Cross Station last night. Having heard them frequently talk about you, I dug up your old apartments in Pear Tree Court, where I found your notice of removal. You have not seen Mrs. Gilfillian yet? No, sir. Thank you. Good morning. Presenting a card to Clement. You have not been on our side, probably. No. Sir, you'll just love New York. Shaking hands with Clement warmly. I regret that I am rather in a hurry. Handing a card to Dick and shaking hands. Sir, good morning. You'll hear from me the very moment I've discovered these charming ladies. But pardon my putting it so plainly. Perhaps they don't want you to discover them. Horace, looking at his watch. Sorry, I can't discuss that question just now. I'm rather in a hurry. He goes out quickly. Clemmerboy, Mrs. Gilfinian and her daughter are in London, the hand of fate. I'll be happy to see them, Dick, and to shake the hand of fate. If I'm not in when they call, say I'll be back in half an hour. I don't like your look, Clem. What are you going to do? Do, Dick. I'm going out to buy Frederick the Great by Carlyle. He goes into his bedroom. Lavender appears in the passage. Dick, calling after Clement. Leave my chambers today. I've done with you. To himself. If Ruth could only afford to send little Lavi away for the benefit of her health, what a solution it would be. I think I could contrive it. If only I had a few pounds to spare, but if I had a few pounds to spare, I couldn't spare them. Lavender. Lavender takes the folded tablecloth from the table and puts it away in the sideboard. Clement thinking. Cripps has a fellow reading to him who wants to buy a little library. Looking towards the bookshelves. That's my little library. The last remains of the time when, if Cripps' pupil is good for fifteen pounds, I'll lend them to Ruth Rolfe and Ravi shall leave town. Eyeing Lavender. Brighton into fifteen quid won't go. Portstairs into fifteen quid, four weeks and one day over. Shaking his fist at the books. Come on. Taking down the books savagely. I'll teach you to remind me of the time when I was a promising lad like Cripp's pupil. Lavender, watching him in surprise. May I help you, Mr. Fennel? Dick drops a book and looks guiltily at Lavender. For sale, lovey. Library of Richard Fennel, Esquire of the Inner Temple, Barrister at Law, fifty volumes. Lavender, sympathetically. Oh. Laying her hand on his arm. Must you? Dick, hesitatingly. Well, I... Looking at Lavender then towards Clement's door, stroking her hair. I think I'd better, lovey. Poor Mr. Fennel, shall I hand you the books? Dick, to himself. She makes me feel guilty. Lovey, if your mother could afford it, would you like three or four weeks in the country? 
Oh, no. No? She hands him volume after volume from the bookcase. After looking at the title pages, he throws them onto the floor. The temple is the country. We have trees and grass and birds and flowers. Seaside, then? No, we have a river with boats on it. Poor lovey. Think of fresh air, fresh eggs, fresh milk from the cow. We're all apt to underrate the importance of milk from the cow. No, I'm happy here. So happy. Dick to himself. Thinking of him, thinking of him. Why do you look at the title pages? I'm sorting my property from the other young gentleman's, Mr. Hale's. Oh, let me do it. I'll look for Mr. Hale's name. I'll take care you don't sell any of his. May I? Very well, Lavi. She takes a quantity of books from the shelves, places them on the ground, and kneels amongst them. Dick to himself. It's like sending her to sign her own death warrant. Cripps is in court today in the Baxter case. I'll run over and see him. He goes quickly to the outer door, opens it, then returns, leaving the door slightly open. Going out without dressing. I'm upset. I'm doing the mean thing. Looking towards Lavender, tearfully. Poor Clem. Poor Lavie. He goes into his bedroom. Lavender examines the books and makes a neat pile of them as she hums a song happily. Clement, fashionably dressed for walking, enters, unheard by Lavender, and watches her. Clement to himself. She makes a room seem like a garden. Lavender, taking up a book. Smith's leading cases. Opening it. Looks rather dry. No conversation. She puts it aside. Clement to himself. Why should I hold my tongue? He silently draws the curtain over the opening without noticing that the door leading on to the outer passage is open. Lavender, taking up another book. Benjamin on Sales. Biblical. Richard Fennell. Clement goes to Dick's door, listens, and then quietly turns the key. Lavender, with another book. Williams on the Law of Real Property. Clement Hale, ah. She opens the middle of the book. Incorporeal Hereditaments. What a beautiful book. She settles herself a little nearer the window and reads earnestly. Clement comes and sits upon the pile of books beside her. Lavender. With a low cry of fright, she turns slowly and looks at him. What are you doing there, Mr. Hale? I've come to sit with you in the garden. The garden? Staring at him, she tries to rise. He stretches out his hand and takes hers. Lavender, under her breath. Mr. Hale. Clement, drawing her down near him and looking into her face earnestly. I love you, Lavender, with all my heart. Will you be my wife? She shrinks away, still staring at him. Speak to me. You don't mean no. I don't know what I mean. Think about it. Think about it. Here. He gently draws her to him and clasps her in his arms. Lavender, half crying. You, you oughtn't to love me. 
Why? You know I'm not a lady. My dear princess. I work. Ah, how red my hands are. Because your blushes run down into them. When you're accustomed to being my wife, they'll grow quite white. But look at me. My frocks can't keep secrets if I can. I'm very poor. I'll be poor with you, if it comes to that. Lavender, looking up into his face. Are you poor? I've nothing of my own, but my profession. I may become very poor. Lavender, rising quickly. Oh! Clement, retreating a little. Do you like me less for that? Lavender, going towards him. Less? I, I haven't said I like you at all, but if I ever did like you, it would be because I know how to be poor and could teach you the way to bear it. Clement, drawing her to him. My sweet, sweet lavender. Clement, you know how pale I've been looking lately. Yes, that's why I asked Delaney to call. Foolish boy, I shall have red cheeks tomorrow. I... I've been thinking so much about you, Clement. <laughs> Lavender. Ah, don't laugh at me. She sits upon the sofa, hiding her face. He goes to her and kneels by her side. Where are you sitting amongst those books? Mr. Fennel is obliged to sell them. He shan't do anything of the kind. We'll stick to the old dick, won't we? Always. And we won't let Mother work any more, will we? Never. Ah. Tell me again you love me. I never will. You make me say things and then you laugh at me. Bending her head to his. I love you. The curtain over the doorway is pushed aside and Mrs. Gilfillian enters, followed by Minnie. Mrs. Gilfillian is a sedate, aristocratic-looking woman about fifty with a lofty forehead and side curls. Minnie is a handsome, lively young woman. Both are fashionably dressed. On discovering Clement at Lavender's feet, Mrs. Gilfillian clutches Minnie by the arm and takes her out. Clement and Lavender, with their heads close together, being unconscious of the interruption. There is then a loud rat-a-tat at the outer door. Clement and Lavender rise quickly, she dropping among the books, while he goes and draws the curtain, and discovers Mrs. Gilfillian and Minnie. My dear aunt! Mrs. Gilfillian enters the room, followed by Minnie. Mrs. Gilfillian, much disturbed, giving Clement two fingers. We found your door open, Clement, but I preferred knocking. Clement, unhappily. Delighted, aunt. Mrs. Gilfillian walks straight across to Lavender, looking down upon her through her pince-nez. Clement to Minnie. Minnie? Well, Clem? This is a jolly surprise. Minnie, looking at Lavender. Mm, yes. Lavender, having pushed the books out of the way, goes out of the room. Mrs. Gilfillian, looking after her. Minnie takes up one of the books, looking at it inquisitively. Those are the books we slave at, Minnie. Minnie, glancing at him, shyly. Don't you overdo it, Clem. Mrs. Gilfillian, looking after Lavender. That's a wicked young woman. 
She shuts the door and joins Clement as Minnie looks round the room. We left Nice on Tuesday, Clement. Minnie and I came straight through, but Mr. Wedderburn prefers to dawdle for a week in Paris. Handing Clement a packet of cabinet photographs. He sends you those portraits done by Grutz of Monte Carlo. Nervously. Minnie, don't pry. Clement, looking at the photographs. Dear old governor. Reading the superscription on one of the portraits. For my boy, from Geoffrey Wedderburn. To Mrs. Gilfillian. The fact is, aunt, I've already heard of your return from a gentleman who is good enough to call on me. Not Mr. Bream. Horace Pinkley Bream. Mrs. Gilfillian, sinking into the armchair. Oh. Minnie, sitting on sofa. Oh, ma. We shall never shake him off. He saved Minnie's life in Paris by pulling her from under a tram car in the Avenue Mirabeau. Good gracious! So careless of her to get there. I closed my eyes and in imagination heard the cracking of her bones. This person rushed forward and restored her to the sidewalk, as he will persist in calling the pavement. I should like to thank him. Don't. He'll never leave you if you do. I thanked him. Although he's not at all the young man I would have selected to rescue a child of mine. Clement, uneasily. In London for long, aunt? The season. We have rooms at the Metropole. But we shall eat at these new coffee establishments in Regent Street. Oh, will you oblige me by taking a shilling cab to the hotel and asking my maid, Bodley, for my vinaigrette? Certainly. He lays the photographs on the table and takes up his hat and umbrella. You lunch here? It's sent in at one o'clock. We could remain if... Clement, blankly. Delighted. Mrs. Gilfillian, to herself. He must never be left again. Clement, banging his hat on his head. Confound! He goes out. Mrs. Gilfillian looks to see that the door is closed then rises and crosses to Minnie. Mrs. Gilfillian, with a gasp. Minnie! My poor child! You saw that young woman? I'm afraid I did, Mamma. What were they doing? Oh, I've never felt my near sight so keenly. Clement was kneeling, Mamma, in an ordinary way, and I think he was holding her hand. Ah, I saw that. And she was looking down, in an ordinary way. Mrs. Gilfillian, pacing to and fro. In the very room in which we are asked to take luncheon. Don't be cross, Ma, dear. She is very pretty and innocent looking. Innocent looking? Do you think I will have my plans, my plans and my brothers, frustrated by a girl with ulterior motives and eyes like saucers? Look here, Ma, darling. Clement is grown up now and may do just as he pleases. I am quite fond of Clem, always was, and if he asked me to be his wife, well, I should want to know all about that young woman. But I don't care a pin for Uncle Geoffrey's plans, and if Clem doesn't take to me, as I'm sure he ought to, why, bless him, I'll be his wife's bridesmaid and her friend into the bargain. 
Mrs. Gilfillian indignantly. Minnie! Suddenly. Hush! The handle of the door of Dick's room is rattled from the inside. Mrs. Gilfillian, with horror. Minnie! There's somebody else in that room! Minnie, retreating. Oh, Ma! And this is the law! Dick, from within. Clement! Clement! Mrs. Gilfillian, listening. It's a man's voice, or a deep contralto. Locked in, Clement, my boy! Mrs. Gilfillian turns the key in the door and retreats. Dick enters in the old and worn wig and gown of a barrister. Uh, thank you. Inquiringly. To see Mr. Hale? Oh, I have seen Mr. Hale. May I ask? Richard Fennel. Hale and I live together. Dear me, I wish to speak to you immediately. Mrs. Gilfillian. Introducing Minnie. My daughter. Minnie laughs behind her handkerchief at Dick's appearance. Dick, politely. Heard of you. Mrs. Gilfillian, quietly to Minnie. Go away, go away. Perhaps this gentleman would allow you to try the piano. Minnie, with a toss of the head, goes to the piano. Mrs. Gilfillian, to Dick. Mr. Funnel, I have just received a great shock. Minnie plays a sentimental air. Who is the young woman who frequents these rooms? Young woman? We came in suddenly. A girl was seated on that sofa. Oh, Clement was on his knees before her, Mr. Funnel. Dick, to himself. He's done it. He's done it. Minnie got me away somehow, unheard by either of them. But my poor child. Mr. Funnel? Tearfully. The blow has fallen there. Minnie strikes in suddenly with a very lively air. Minnie! Minnie stops playing, and Mrs. Gilfillian goes to her, remonstrating. Dick, to himself. We're in for it. We've made our choice. We prefer Lindsay and a linen collar to satin and Valenciennes. Very well. Now it's come to it. I'll stick to you, Clement, my boy. Arranging his wig and gown and striking a forensic attitude. For the defendant. Mrs. Gilfillian, returning to Dick. What you tell me is in perfect confidence. Not at all necessary, ma'am. We caught inquiry. The young lady is the daughter of Mrs. Walt, who resides, to put it plainly, in the basement. And the woman? Dick, pointing downwards. Geographically, not otherwise. Minnie resumes playing softly. Nonsense, sir. These people attend upon you. This girl's mother is what you call a common servant. No, ma'am. She's what I call a lady. A lady? Madam, Mrs. Walt has been a kind, faithful friend to me for fifteen years. If I have the privilege of knowing you for that length of time, nothing will induce me to speak ill of you. Ruth enters and stands in the opening to passage. I'll see Mrs. Rolls at once. Kindly ring the bell. Dick moves towards the bell handle and sees Ruth. Here is Mrs. Rolls. Ruth, announcing. Mr. Bream, please. Horace enters quickly. Dick speaks to Ruth. Horace, with outstretched hands. My dear Mrs. Gilfillian. 
Minnie stops playing suddenly and rises. Ooh! Mrs. Gilfillian, in consternation. Mr. Bream! Horace, excitedly. Lost you at the custom house counter last night. Saw you in a hansom this morning. Never meant to rest till I'd found you. Horace goes to Minnie. Mrs. Gilfillian, helplessly sinking into a chair. Oh, dear me! Horace, to Minnie, taking her hand. My dear Miss Gilfillian. Minnie, distractedly. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Breen? Ruth, quietly, to Mrs. Gilfillian. You wish to speak to me, ma'am? Mrs. Gilfillian, rising. Mrs. Rolt? Yes. I have discovered that there have been some love passages between Mr. Hale and your daughter. I... I... Yes, my daughter has just told me that Mr. Hale has offered her marriage. Marriage? Checking herself. Don't you understand that this is a terrible shock to Mr. Hale's friends? Ruth, tearfully. I understand that it is a terrible shock to me to lose my child. Ruth turns away and leans faintly on the back of a chair. To lose your child? I see. To herself. It's serious. I'll telegraph at once to Brother Geoffrey. Mrs. Gilfillian seats herself at writing table and begins writing rapidly. Ruth's eye falls upon the photographs lying on the table. She stares at them for a moment blankly. Ruth, commanding herself, going a step or two towards Dick. Mr. Fennel, Pointing at the photograph. Who... who is that? Uh, Mr. Wedderburn, I think. Wedderburn? Bankham, at Barnchester. Mr. Hale is his adopted son. In... indeed. After a pause, she goes quickly to Mrs. Gilfillian and whispers, Madam, Madam... Mrs. Gilfillian turns. You... you have misunderstood me. I... I give you my word my daughter shall never marry Mr. Hale. Mrs. Gilfillian, rising with the written telegram in her hand. What? Ruth, glancing round. Hush! Lavender enters the passage and takes up the tray from the butler's stand. Clement follows and stands whispering to her. Minnie and Horace are in close conversation. End of Act One